Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear friends and faithful listeners, and thank you for joining me for the second part and the continuation of our look into the book of the minor prophet Malachi. And as I briefly touched upon in the first part, Malachi is not technically a real name. The name Malachi does not appear anywhere else within the Old Testament or New. And therefore, it has led to much controversy. And many theologians come in and they try to say, well, Malachi was this particular individual. He was a Judean or he was a Gentile. But truth be told, Malachi is not even a proper name. Malachi really is taken from the Hebrew Malachiah. And what that means is he is a messenger of Yahweh. And therefore, this unknown prophet, who we attribute to Malachi, wrote within his book, in the first chapter and at the beginning of chapter 3, by saying he was a messenger of Yah, or Malachiah. And through transliteration and through history, most assuredly with the Latin Vulgate that we're dealing with today, people started attributing this title, Messenger of Yahweh, to one known as Malachi. But Malachi is not mentioned outside this book. And what we need to realize about Malachi is it's not so much him as the person or the minor prophet, as it is what it is he is preaching. And I'll tell you this, even though a majority of theologians agree that this Malachi is unknown, and nobody really knows who his father is or what his true genealogy is, the fact that he speaks to Israel and speaks in the manner that he does has led most of history to agree that Malachi was a Levitical priest. How can I say that? Well, it's obvious that this book was written after the reconstruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. Because Malachi comes out and he starts talking about these obligatory sacrifices. He starts talking about the grace or mercy of Yahweh God. And basically, Malachi, or whoever this prophet is that wrote the final book of the Old Testament, he lived and he worked during the reign of Ezra and Nehemiah. Meaning, those were the prophets that Malachi listened to. And if you know the central theme of Ezra and Nehemiah, it is not only about rebuilding the temple, 
but it is about putting away foreign wives, not miscegenating and how to come back under the covenant. And it is for that reason that Malachi begins in verse 2 of chapter 1 by saying, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? And then proceeds to explain how Yahweh God hated Esau, and still does, but loved Jacob. Meaning Jacob was the child of the promise, and the Israelites are to whom this book is written. And the structure of Malachi is quite interesting, because what we're looking at within these four chapters, three and every other translation, is this. This is what we deal with in a judicial trial. This is, if you will, Yahweh God coming in and accusing Israel of doing something. And then the Israelites will retort by saying, well, how did we do this? And so, there are six disputes within this book. Six disputes from Yahweh God, and six being the number of man, makes this very appropriate. The first dispute of Yahweh God we already covered, and that is the fact that we lack the amount of love that is required, even though... We were chosen through Jacob because of mercy and unmerited favor. Even though Yahweh chose the younger over the elder, the first dispute of God is that we don't love him enough. The second dispute of God is that the offerings our priests were giving for sin atonement were corrupted. That they sacrificed corrupted bread upon the altar. And we dealt with those two disputes of God within the first segment. The third dispute of God, which we'll be dealing with today, is divorce. Both literally and spiritually. And more on that in a moment. Yahweh proceeds in chapter 3 to dispute against judgment. Saying that he will return and that our sacrifices are not enough. Finally, he will dispute about tithes. Saying that the Israelites are robbing Yahweh God. And then he will rebuke us for our arrogance. Because then, like now, many of our own people think, well, I'm an Israelite, that's the greatest thing. Yeah, indeed, we're Israelites, and Malachi reminds us of that fact. That Jacob was loved, Esau was hated. But does that absolve us from all of these disputes that Yahweh God brings? God comes in and says, I'm against your divorce, and we say, well, how and did we get divorced? God comes in and says, I'm against your offerings, they're thoroughly corrupted, and we say, well... How in did we corrupt our own offerings? So, as we pick it back up at the beginning of chapter 2, where we left off in verse 1, I want you to understand that, that what we're dealing with here is a divine court. Yahweh God comes in through his prophet Malachi, reminds the Israelites that they weren't the greatest thing since sliced bread. In line with these six points of contention that Yahweh God has. And then we, of course thinking we're so perfect, say, well, how is it that we robbed you? How is it that we lack love? So, it is likely that Malachi, or whoever he is, was a Levitical priest. Because your average person will not complain about tithes or burn offerings, but a Levitical priest will. And he will because, if you know the story, Levi received no inheritance. Rather, the other remaining 11 tribes were to tithe 10% to the tribe of Levi. Meaning that the Levites received 110% 
from the other 11 tribes. Because they were meant to be the priestly tribe. And whoever Malachi is, he is fulfilling that obligation. So let's pick it back up now in Malachi chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, Yahweh is about, through Malachi, to give a commandment to the priests. And if you remember, we left off with Yahweh God saying, Cursed be the deceiver. Meaning, Yahweh God will curse and is cursing everybody who comes in and does one of these things. Lacks love. Gives corrupt offerings. Engages in divorce, both literal and spiritual. Refuses the judgment of Yahweh God. Robs God of tithes. Or simply walks around in a state of arrogance. Saying, you know what? (laughs) I'm an Israelite. None of this matters to me. Now, why Malachi is important is because of that. We still see this behavior today. Many of our own people say, well, I'm an Israelite. I don't have to obey. I don't have to bring in an incorruptible offering, do I? But Malachi doesn't say that. Malachi begins on the premise that Jacob was loved. Esau was hated. And then he proceeds to explain all the things that Israel has done amiss. Not Edom. Edom has nothing to do with Malachi other than being the contrast for Jacob, Israel, the man. So the book was written to the Israelites and it was most likely written by a Levitical priest. And proof of that is found here at the beginning of chapter 2, where we read in verse 1. It says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. Stopping right there. That is who the commandment is given to. Our priests. And we prove from chapter 1 that seemingly every time the Israelites erred, or they hurt Yahweh God, their Heavenly Father, Yahweh God will lay that charge to the priests. He will remind the priests that they, through giving offerings that were corrupted, they, through showing very little love in that act, caused the Israelites to err. So chapter 2, verse 1, confirms That what we are about to discuss in the next few verses deals with the priests of Israel. And God says this in verse 2. If ye, speaking to the priests, if ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Lay what to heart? The severity of the sacred name. Even then, 500 years before Yahshua would come and cleanse the temple because he saw the same exact thing that Malachi did in these corrupt offerings at the temple of Jerusalem, there were priests who were despising the name of God. So much that God would say, well, my name will be glorified among the Gentiles if the Israelites will not glorify it. So, he says, I will curse your blessings. Did you hear that? God will turn the deceiver's blessings into curses. And so we live in that society, do we not? Where we know scripturally that some of the blessings of Yahweh God are a virtuous wife. Or children who are not accused of unruly and riot. But yet I'm sure you've met people who say, well, my children are nothing but a burden unto me. Nothing but a curse Unto me. In fact, that is the general mindset of most feminist women who say, I'm not going to have children for one reason or another, most likely out of selfishness. 
But that is because God has cursed their blessings. That means that they walk around in what they should consider to be a blessing is a curse to them, like children, like a nation under God's rule. Therefore, they seek to redefine God within their own image. And Malachi dealt with that. Whereas Yahweh God within Leviticus chapter 1, the first couple of verses says that we are to sacrifice for sin the chiefest, the firstborn, the best animal that we can. Well, at the time of Malachi, they would just take lame animals and sacrifice them. They wouldn't wash the pots. They wouldn't even wash their clothing because service was no longer done out of a pure heart. So this is a judicial trial, and this is the complaint of Yahweh God. You don't take my name seriously. And in verse 2, he says, you don't lay it to heart to give glory unto my name. Now, how can we, as the white Anglo-Saxon Israelites, give glory to the name of Yahweh God if we don't know that name? Or, if when that name is presented, we refuse it and resist it and say, well... That's not the name of my Heavenly Father. What is interesting about Malachi is many times God comes in, numerous times, and says, my name is important. You haven't glorified it. Through the priests, therefore the Israelites do not know my name. And technically, for lack of a better term, they stumble in darkness. God says, I have cursed your blessings already. And because you don't lay it to heart... So my advice to you through this prophet Malachi in the second chapter at the very beginning is this. Lay the name of Yahweh to heart. Pray in that name and understand there is power within that name. And if you despise it and rebuke it and cast it out, there's a very good chance that Yahweh God will turn your blessings into cursings. Notice he doesn't come in and just curse but he turns our blessings into cursings. The very things that we are supposed to account as righteousness that God bestows upon us can turn into wormwood and corruption. And so in context, these priests were making offerings and they were thoroughly corrupted. They were not acceptable with Yahweh God and God despised them, disdained them, just as he did Esau. Throughout all of Malachi, you will see that there is grace imparted. And so, God begins chapter 2. Yahweh says, this is my commandment to the priests. And my commandment is, in so much that you do not take my name seriously, I'm going to turn every blessing that I once poured out upon you into cursings. Very important. Then God gives his judgment upon the priests. Beginning in verse 3. God is about to say, this is what's going to happen to the priests. And why is this important? Because we still have preachers, pastors, and priests today, do we not? And if we're not holding up and regarding the sacred name of Yahweh God, if we're saying it's okay to divorce or not tithe, if it's okay, according to the false prophet, to walk around in arrogance because, after all, we're Israelites, we're the children of promise, God says in Malachi, his name will then be magnified among the Gentiles. So this is the judgment upon the Levitical priests. The Levitical priests that Malachi the prophet saw within the temple that he likely helped rebuild during the times of Ezra and Nehemiah, where he saw our own Israelite men, women, and children going and whoring after the other nations, 
where Ezra and Nehemiah had to come in and say, you must put away your foreign wives and kill your mixed children in order to come back under the covenant. Does it now make sense as to why Yahweh God saw fit to begin the book of Malachi by saying, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated? Well, we proved in the first part, Esau went and married amongst the Canaanites. And he did so because he knew it upset his father Isaac. That narrative, of course, is found in Genesis chapter 28. But the judgment upon the priest began in verse 3. And God says this, Behold, I will corrupt your seed. Stopping right there. Do you not notice how important the seed is to Yahweh God? He begins by talking about the Israelites are the children of the promise. And that began when he chose Jacob. Before he was even born. Jacob being the younger meant that Esau the elder shall serve Jacob. But here, if we do not regard the name of Yahweh God, he says, I will corrupt your seed. Very racial statement. This means the offspring or the progeny of the coming Israelites through the seed of the priests. And I don't know how many times I have seen this in life. Many preachers begin in CI, and then they realize that there's so much more money in lying and preaching universalism. And so they go out and they do that. And within a year or two, they are corrupted. Their seed is corrupted. Their sons and daughters are not raised within the right way, so they depart from it. And they go out and miscegenate, just as it was in the times of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi. There is no new thing under the sun. So the first judgment against the Levitical priests that aren't obeying Yahweh God is he'll corrupt their literal seed, their offspring. And then he continues, And spread dung upon your faces, the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know, that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith Yahweh of hosts. Covenant with who? With the Levitical priests, of which Malachi was one. Therefore, Malachi, being a Levitical priest, is technically coming in and telling you that the majority of Levitical priests, 500 years before Christ even came, were offering corrupted sacrifices. Does it now make sense as to why when Yahshua came, he would go into the same temple and turn over their tables and say, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves? Well, this is the theme of Malachi, and we mustn't lose sight of that. You shall know that I have set this commandment. How? When Yahweh corrupts the seed of the Israelites, and spreads the dung of their solemn feasts upon their faces. Now, we've already established that Yahweh God did not accept these offerings because they were corrupted. So what I want you to understand is, chapter 1 basically goes into the sins of Israel. And it's mostly because of the priests. And then the judgment is laid out to the priests. And... Malachi says the covenant is with Levi. And so it truly, really is. I've never really preached on tithing. But the way God has it designed is so that if we are a preacher or a proverbial Levitical priest in this day and age, we are to be supported by the people. But more on that in the next segment.
Verse 5 says, My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. Now in this modern era, this term of fear is usually seen as a negative trait. Fear and jealousy, both of which Yahweh God demands. If we be jealous over God with a godly jealousy, and not only that, that we fear or reverence his name, where is the fear of Yahweh God within this land? It does not exist, because if it did, someone like Caitlyn Jenner or Hillary Clinton would not be able to so much as even draw breath. But the fear of Yahweh God is gone from the land, is it not? And therefore, what happens? Sin is empowered, and wickedness expands. And truly, this is the story of the Bible. Wickedness and evil does expand when good men do nothing. Therefore, Malachi reminds the Levitical priests, you're not being good men. You're serving God obligatorily. And that's not acceptable. So, Malachi reminds us that God says, My covenant was with him, who? Levi, of life and peace. All those oracles were laid to Levi. And all the other eleven tribes were meant to support Levi. And when they stopped supporting the Levitical priest, a polite way of saying robbing God, suddenly there was no truth within the land anymore. And when the priest started offering corrupted offerings, suddenly there was no forgiveness of sins. And when the priest became lazy 500 years before Christ, isn't it ironic that there was no sins forgiven them? That it all was laid in the spirit of the coming Elijah that this book ends upon. So, my covenant was with him, and that covenant was one of life and peace. But if God is going to corrupt the seed of the priests and any Israelite by extension, who comes in and defiles his name, then that covenant no longer is life and peace, is it? Rather, it's death and turmoil. That is why God says, I will turn your blessings into curses. Is there any greater curse than knowing something that should be a blessing now is corrupted and turned to filth? Well, continuing on in verse 6. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did not turn many away from iniquity. Who is this? The law was in his mouth for teaching others. And iniquity was not found at all. This, right here, if you will, is the tenth and final covenant mentioned within the Bible. This is the Levitic covenant, and it is a covenant made with Levi. We already confirmed that, right? My covenant might be with Levi, with that tribe, amongst the thirteen. So, the covenant is with Levi, and the covenant is the covenant of promise. It is conditional. Meaning that Yahweh God says you must make a sin offering like this. You must make a tithe like this. You must not take divorce so lightheartedly. And if we do not, well, there is a consequence. If we sin, there is always a consequence for sin. And that, my friend, is what Malachi wants you to know. The law of truth was in his mouth, who, Levi? And iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and did not turn many away from iniquity. Verse 7, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. Did you notice? Yahweh God says, The priest's job is not to hearken unto the theologies of men, 
whatever wave of doctrine comes through, whatever sounds good at the moment. But the law of the priest is that they should keep knowledge, first and foremost. Knowledge, meaning especially the law. They, the Israelites, you and I, should seek such knowledge at the mouth of the priest. But if the priests are lying and saying, well, the Edomites are God's chosen, Edomites are loved, Jacob is hated and despised, then what does that cause us to do? (laughs) Their question, is it not because we live in a society now where they come in and say God doesn't hate anybody? They also tell you that the Edomites are God's chosen people where it's the Israelites through Jacob. They tell you that you don't really have to love God, God loves you. They tell you that you don't have to make any sacrifice or offering. They tell you you don't even have to tithe. The Judeo-Christian will even come in and say divorce is okay and you don't have to face judgment against it. Knowing that the Bible says Yahweh God hates divorce. So, what Malachi wrote 500 years before Christ even came is more apropos today. Because now, like then, these erroneous beliefs are out there. But the law of truth is supposed to be in the priest's lips. And the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And before they even find knowledge, they must seek the law to understand that knowledge. If the priests were seeking the law, they would have understood that they could not give a lame, a blind, or a maimed goat as an offering. And that is the source of contention here. So this is the tenth covenant given in the Old Testament. It's the final one before the great and terrible coming of the spirit of Elijah. It's considered once again the Levitic covenant, and it's found in its entirety in the book of Numbers chapter 25 between verses 10 and 13. But continuing on, pay close attention to verse 7. The priest's lips should keep knowledge. They should seek the law at his mouth. Meaning that it is the job of the priest to go to the word of God, God's mouth, before man. And then we're told, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Remember at the beginning I told you that Malachi means a messenger of Yahweh. And that, of course, flies in the face of the no-devils who want you to believe that every time you see this term messenger, it just means a prophet, right? Because there are five messengers in total in the book of Malachi. Number one is Malachi himself. That's verse one in chapter one. Number two is the true priest, and we just read about that. For the priest is to be the messenger of Yahweh of hosts. Number three is John the Baptist. And we're going to get to that in chapter 3, verse 1. Number four, another messenger, according to Malachi, is found in chapter 3. And that happens to be, you guessed it, Yahshua, our Messiah. The fifth messenger mentioned within this book is Elijah. That's found within the fourth chapter, or the third, depending on which book you're reading. But most assuredly, the fourth chapter in the King James Version. Now, there were also five sins of the priest, specifically. One was they departed out of the way, meaning they lost their first love. The second is they caused many to stumble at the law, not within their own heart, but in fully serving Yahweh God. The third is they corrupted the covenant of Levi, the tenth and final covenant made in the Old Testament. The fourth is they did not keep God's ways, and we just covered that. And they were partakers of the law. 
being the fifth. That is, he had respect of persons in administering the law. And so we still live in a society today where many priests will come in and they'll give you an indulgence. If you give them enough money, they'll say, hey, you can get away with murder because I, your Pope, hath said so. But remember that the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And we live in a society where there is no knowledge within the lips of the priests. So let's continue. We continually, as Israelites, are disobedient. And judgment is poured out every single time. We have this pipe dream where we think, hey, we can sin, and then all we have to contend with is the great and terrible day of Yahweh God. But so far, we've already learned that God will corrupt the seed of the lying priest that that seed no longer will be held in such high regard as an Israelite. Therefore, even though these particular priests were born of the tribe of Levi, they did not fulfill the spiritual end of what was required of a Levitical priest or an Israelite, in short. So we continue reading in verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way, and have caused many to stumble at the law. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry, or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith Yahweh of hosts. Through who? Through Malachi. Malachi, being a Levitical priest, is chastising the rest of his own and saying, you've departed. And because you've departed, because you stumble at the law, you've corrupted the final covenant. Does it not make sense as to why Yahshua was the final covenant given? God tried ten times before this. He made a Davidic covenant, an Abrahamic covenant, a covenant with Israel, a covenant with the Levitical priests. And time and time again, our own priests cause us to err. Meaning that there oftentimes is more truth found within the people than the priests. But the disobedience of the priests is that they departed from the way. There is a way. And it's God's way. It's Yah's way. But if we don't follow that way, <laughs> like Christ said, narrow is the way, and few there be that find it, we will be outside the kingdom. And that is why Malachi continues stressing the importance of judgment here. For example, he continues in verse 9. Therefore, have I also made you contemptible 
and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Interesting choice of words, is it not? Because the law is not to show partiality. It is to judge Israel indiscriminately, irregardless of whether they're a Levitical priest or a shepherd like David. But then, like now, and most assuredly, we see this within man's law. There are they who are partial within the law. Meaning, like I said, they could sell indulgences. They could come in and say, you know what? I have this very special he-goat. It's put away over here. So if you don't want a disease sent offering, pay a little more. That's showing partiality. And Malachi knew that it was a violation of Leviticus and Deuteronomy because he was a Levitical priest. He knew Levi as a book. And so as it is broken down time and time again, we see God has made the priest contemptible and based before all people according as they've not kept our ways but have been partial in the law. Now perhaps you've heard me preach in times past that the way of man oftentimes is to come in pay a good lawyer, maybe bribe the judge, and he can get away with murder. What is that but partiality within the law? That defeats the purpose of any codified law, whether it's God or man's. Because suddenly, it becomes biased. And that, my friend, is what the priests were doing then. Is it hard to believe that in this modern era, they come in and they show partiality within the law and basically say, you know what, the law is done away with. You can be a faggot. You can be a murderer, it does not matter. You can be an adulterer even. It's okay, God accepts you as you are. That's departing from the way. The way that was written in Levi because a covenant was made with Levi. And the job of Levi was to seek knowledge and tell the truth. But at the times of Malachi, they did not like knowledge. They loved traditions. And therefore, Yahshua would come much later and say to the Pharisees, You have made God's law of none effect. Through your own traditions. And so Yahshua would continually have issue with the Pharisees. And he had more of an issue with the Pharisees for the same reason Malachi has more of an issue with the priests in the temple of Jerusalem in his day. Because they cause us to err. Judgment does begin at the house of Yahweh God and it should make sense as to why. Because we have the power to mislead people. And so you must understand that. A majority of these Judeo-Christians out there, that's all they do, is mislead people. Their seed is already corruptible. That's a given. But God hates the false priests just as much as Yahshua hated the lying Pharisee and the scribes in his day because they caused his people, the Israelites, to err, to fall into sin. Therefore, verse 10 in Malachi 2 continues. Have we not all one father? Stopping right there. Have we not all one father? Jacob, Israel, the man. What does that confirm? This book was written for the Israelites. They which have one father, our fathers did eat manna, according to Paul in the New Testament. So, I have to stress this, because I do not for the life of me understand how the false prophet can come in and say, you know what, these books are written for everybody indiscriminately. Malachi's not. It was written by a Levitical priest, meaning it was a tribe of Israel, and it was written only to the Israelites. And for 500 years, before Christ came and said, I'm sent only to the Israelites myself, there was no confusion about this. Our people didn't run out in mass and tell the Canaanites and the Edomites they could come under the Levitical covenant. But many false priests did. And that is why Malachi begins by showing the distinction between Jacob and Esau. 
One that was loved of God and one that is hated of God. And God hath indignation against Esau forever. Have we not all one Father? Verse 10 asks. Hath not one God created us? One God. The God of the Israelites. Notice Malachi doesn't say all gods are one. He says the Israelites were formed by one God. We have one God. Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? By profaning the covenant of our fathers. Why do we do that? Why do we not observe the golden rule by loving our neighbor because we want to transgress the law? And if you think Christ did not teach this, you've got another thing coming. I'm going to prove this in just a moment. With your finger here in Malachi, turn over to the epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Paul writes, But to us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by Him. Do not understand, Paul was quoting, once again, Malachi, because he was familiar with his teaching, that the Israelites were under one God, Yahweh. And because the priests were defiling the sacred name of Yahweh God, God has to ask, He has to remind us, Hath we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every Adamite against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? This is the Mosaic covenant, not the Levitical covenant. And Malachi is saying, we failed in even doing that. Now, for you to really understand how complete Malachi is as a book within the Minor Prophets, notice that we just read in verses 7 and 8 here in chapter 2. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of Yahweh of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way, and have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith Yahweh of hosts. Double emphasis. Right? We've read that. Now do you think for a moment that Yahshua taught any differently as he walked? Remember, even though there was 500 years between Malachi and John the Baptist, nothing really changed. The priests, who ultimately became known as many Pharisees, were still offering corrupted sacrifices. They still stood in opposition to Jesus Christ. So, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, in the words of Yahshua, beginning in verse 2, and this is very important, Christ says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Stopping right there. Yahshua's telling you, just like Malachi, the scribes and the Pharisees are sitting in Moses' seat. They are taking the position of the Levitical priest, and they are supposed to do all of these things, but they're not doing it. What does Yahshua say? Verse 3, here in Matthew chapter 23. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. Don't do what they're doing. Do what they say if it aligns with the truth of God's word as we read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Christ says, do not do after their works for they say and do not, meaning they're hypocrites. They were at the time of Malachi. They were at the times of Christ. And I assure you, they still are today. There is simply no way you can get to the level of a Pat Robertson or a Joel Olstein without lying in mass to the majority of the people and telling them that the way is broad and God loves everybody. 
Notice Christ continues in chapter 23, verse 4. He says, For they, who? The scribes and the Pharisees. A polite way of saying the priests. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So what Christ is saying is this. That every once in a while a broken clock is right. At least twice a day. And the Levitical priests, even though they're hypocrites, when they come in, and they tell you that we must make an offering, or we must make a tithe, that observe and do. Because that's outlined within the law. But don't do what they are doing. Because, we already confirmed it, right? In the times of Malachi, they were offering infected animals to Yahweh God, and saying, you know what, any sacrifice is good enough. But it wasn't. And thus it stands. What exactly are we discussing right here? We're starting to go into the theme of divorce. And Malachi teaches against divorce both literally and metaphorically. For example, right here, have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? That's our Heavenly Father, right? But then verse 11 reminds us, Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved, and hath married the daughter of a strange God. Married the daughter of a strange God. What are we dealing with here? Divorce. Divorce. And time and time again, the Israelites, because of the false priests, would go out and whore after other cultures. It was no different in Ezra and Nehemiah. And they had to be risen up according to Yahweh and tell them, put away the foreign wives, put away your mixed children, and then and only then might you possibly come back under the covenant. So the sins of the people is partially due to Judah's treachery. And when Judah went out and married the daughter of a strange god in the same exact manner that Esau did, he divorced himself from our Heavenly Father. Therefore, Yahweh God will turn his blessings into curses in the same exact manner that he did Esau. Now, this is a spiritual teaching. And you must be pretty well grounded with the rest of the Old Testament to understand that Yahweh God is married to Israel. And Judah is one of those tribes. And when we go out and we join with other nations, other cultures, but more importantly serve their false gods, we divorce ourselves from our Heavenly Father. But remember, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, our people, Israelite and Judean, were doing this literally. They were putting away their Israelite wives and going and marrying Canaanite wives or Samaritan wives, and they were bringing mamzers into existence. So much so that the entire book of Ezra and Nehemiah deals with miscegenation and how to avoid it. So, the judgment for treachery is against Judah because Judah profaned the holiness of Yahweh. And Judah once loved Yahweh. Notice, Malachi says that. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of Yahweh, which he hath loved, and went out and married the daughter of a strange god. The men of Judah had lived with sin with the women who were considered technically temple prostitutes. And they went and they would serve a foreign god. And this perhaps reminds you of wise King Solomon. Solomon went and miscegenated. He married wives from every nation there was. And Yahweh God was not as upset with the fact that Solomon had strange wives. 
in so much that he was upset with the fact that his strange wives turned Solomon's heart away from serving him in spirit and truth. I do not know how many more times and how imperative it is to stress the fact that we, as the white Anglo-Saxons, the Israelites, must magnify the name, must make a sacrifice or an offering that is not polluted, we must not literally or physically even divorce Yahweh God, and the most surefire way of divorcing God is to go running after strange flesh. We do this time and time again. Right now, in this era, all you need to do is turn on the television and see that we are worshipping the gods and the people of the other nations. And if we do that, our seed will be corrupted. And that goes without saying, does it not? If you do not raise your child in the right way when they're older, they will depart from it. And therefore, your seed will be cut off. So my advice is, and Malachi's advice back then, is don't miscegenate. Don't divorce yourself from God by serving a strange or a foreign God. And cling to Him in a pure heart. Notice, continuing on in verse 12, Yahweh will cut off the man that doeth this. It does what? That deals treacherously with Yahweh God. That goes after a strange God. Yahweh's going to allow you to do that much in the same manner as He does homosexuals. In Romans chapter 1, seeing as they do not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gives them the reprobate mind. That also is an act of love because that's all they inherit. Therefore we learn, Yahweh will cut off the man or the Adamite that does this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto Yahweh of hosts. So we cannot serve a false god. And what we just dealt with today proves that not all gods are one. That's why I took you to the New Testament. To prove that Paul quoted in 1 Corinthians. And Yeshua also reiterated the words of Malachi in the 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. This isn't foreign to the Christian walk. In fact, what Malachi discusses is imperative to the Christian walk. So notice, verse 10, we have one father. Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother? That right there is literal divorce in Malachi chapter 2 verse 10. But in the next verse, Judah hath dealt treacherously and married a strange God. Malachi is dealing with metaphorical divorce. And both were going on. Miscegenation or the violation of the seventh command of Yahweh God being adulteration is a grievous error, time and time again. And it's not so much the act that we cut and corrupt our own seed in the process. But what it does is turn us from serving Yahweh God in any form or visage of purity. We simply cannot sit at the temple of heathens and the temple of Yahweh God. And so, the judgment for treachery is this. Yahweh will cut off the man that does this. Whether they're a master, a priest whether they're a scholar, a scribe, whether they're a politician or a pauper, whether they're a king or a servant. God will cut off any person that deals with what? The metaphorical divorce that is mentioned here in Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. So, this was spoken to the Israelites, Judah being one tribe among twelve. Therefore, God continues in verse 13 to explain Judah's hypocrisy. 
Judah is probably the most picked on tribe of the 13 in total. And there's good cause for that. Judah and Benjamin, they kind of set themselves against the rest of the other tribes. And around the times of Solomon, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split. And they became separate entities. The house of Judah and the house of Israel. But don't lose sight of the fact that Judah was the fourth child of Israel. The man. The fourth born. Not the firstborn, but the fourth. He was a child of Israel. Therefore, even if it's Judah or Benjamin who's being accused of being hypocritical here, it affects us, the Israelites. Why? Judah's our brother. We can't lose sight of that. Just as Jacob and Esau are brothers. Right? They look the same. But one's a Gentile. One's an Israelite. Now do you understand why the name of Yahweh will be glorified among the Gentiles? In context, here in Malachi. Because there's one group of people out there who have no problem saying they're Edomites. Who give the illusion that they follow the law, they know the sacred name. In fact, they know that name so much that they even blot out the syllables. Aren't they special? Aren't they pious? Rather, we live in an era now where the Gentiles, being the Edomites, know the name more than we do. So what we're discussing in Malachi deals with today, just as it did in the times of Christ, the times of Paul, and the times that it was written in. These behaviors still exist. Priests come in and they're partial, are they not, to the highest bidder. Priests come in and they excuse sin. And when a priest excuses sin, sin is empowered in the land. It's not pushed out. God's law is meant to be a deterrent. For example, if you catch a homosexual, you're to put him to death in front of all the Israelites. Therefore, the next Israelite who even entertains the thought or the notion will say, Hell no, I ain't doing it. I'm going to be put to death. But did you not notice in less than a year of them legalizing gay marriage how homosexual America and parts of even Europe has become? That's because the majority of the people are lemmings. And if the government comes in and says it's okay to be a faggot, they're going to go out and start being a faggot because they want to be part of the majority. Thus, that same power is bestowed upon the priest. A priest can excuse somebody through lying so they can go and sin, but that is more grievous than a sin committed in ignorance. We cannot forget that. The judgment against Judah's treachery begins in verse 12. Yahweh will cut off the man that does this, the master, the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob. And unto him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. Meaning, once again, the one who makes an offering to the idol as if he was making an offering unto Yahweh of hosts. The times of Malachi, the priests would come in, they would burn a sacrifice to Baal Peor, the god of the Edomites. And this Israelite Levitical priest, known here as Malachi, but his name really meaning a messenger of Yahweh God, had to come in and remind the Israelites you're listening to a false prophet. And what does he tell you to do? Go back to the book of Levi. Go back to what is written, what was codified and handed down on Sinai to our people. Therefore, you'll be able to understand when the priest lies, when he brings in false oblations. So, verse 13 says, And this have ye done, again, covering the altar of Yahweh with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Meaning Judah would mess up. 
They would come to the altar, they would cry out, they would say, forgive me, Yahweh God, they would make a sin atonement, and God would forgive them. Then they would go out because they were forgiven and given a blank slate and sin willfully. And that's the opposite of what Yahweh God had it designed to do. Just as a false priest can come in and say, you know what, it's okay to sin and empower sin, the fact that we are forgiven of our sin does not mean we can go and sin more. In fact, John chapter 8, Christ told the woman taken in adultery, what did he say? He said, go and sin no more. When you are forgiven, you are to change. You are to truly repent. Repentance does not mean saying, I'm sorry. Repentance means going and changing your behavior so you do not err again. And so, it stands. Yahweh God will not receive an offering made unto an idol. And just as I said in part one, you can pray over your pork dinner all you want, but you're not going to make that unclean meal clean. You're not going to make an acceptable offering to Yahweh God in doing that. And I use that because that's actually a very simple analogy. You really believe God is going to bless a pork chop when it's forbidden to eat within his word? Final verse of this particular study, verse 14, here in Malachi chapter 2. We learn. Yet ye say, who says this? Judah says this. Once again, this is a judicial trial. God, so far, has told us we lack love. Our offerings are corrupted. We divorce ourselves from God and our own race many times to go after foreign women. And pretty soon here, we're going to deal with fire and soap. For example, chapter 3, verse 2. Who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. A refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. Both of which are cleansing elements. Fire is a restoration process. Soap is a cleansing agent. So, this is what we need to do. Before Yahweh God comes in flesh, de facto, at a second advent, and forces us to do it anyway. Get right with God as you live. Verse 14 says, Yet ye, Judeans, say, Wherefore? Because Yahweh hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion and the wife of thy covenant. Understand now why I said Malachi rebukes divorce both metaphorically and literally. This is the treachery to Israelite wives from the Judeans because the Judeans were doing this. While the temple was being rebuilted, many foreign nations came around, the Samaritans being the most famous, to help in rebuilding the temple. And the Israelites were even smart enough to turn them away and say, no, we don't want these other nations helping us rebuild this temple. But they were not above taking their wives, were they? Even though they knew that we couldn't have these mamzers come into the holiest of holies, their eyes lusted after the wives of other nations. Therefore God says, I tell you that you've done all of this. And the Judeans say, wherefore, how? And God's answer is, because I'm witness. You've turned against the wife of your youth. The wife of your youth. Your Israelite wives, as you're commanded within the law of God to marry. Even Jacob was commanded by his father Isaac to take a wife from among his own people. And so what we see here is Malachi using a literal analogy of the Judeans putting away their wives 
or taking other wives from the other nations. And we see an allegory. An allegory because God is considered our father, our bridegroom, if you will, but he is married to us. Therefore, if you're married and you're listening to this, the hurt that you would feel if your significant other went out and committed adultery against you is exactly the same hurt that Yahweh God feels when we deal treacherously with the wife of our youth. The wife of our youth is Yahweh God, if we are an Israelite. Every one of us, even though we may be married to another person, are first and foremost married to Yahweh God. That is the wife of our youth. Do not forsake the wife of your youth, your first wife. She is to be highly favored. And so, hopefully in today's study, I gave you a few points that you hadn't heard before. Because here, when we get to the third part, we're going to start dealing with Yahshua's first advent, the coming of Christ. His second advent, meaning the day of the Lord. We're going to deal with Israel finally being restored. How are the Israelites finally restored? Not through the priests. The priests don't have an epiphany come in and say, you know what? We're going to start loving the name of God. We're going to go ahead and start giving proper sacrifices. No. Finally, Yahshua has to come. Notice, all this talk is about offerings. About animals being slain on the altar and the blood sprinkled around. But that was all ultimately fulfilled in Yahshua. Yahshua, for one and all times, laid down his life willfully. So we would have an acceptable sacrifice. So acceptable, in fact, that Yahweh God, when Christ was baptized opened the sky and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. Quite the difference, and quite the contrast to what we've dealt with today, right? God is not pleased with these offerings that we make. He's never going to be pleased with an offering if it's made in hypocrisy, if it's made obligatorily, or if it is made unto idols. And those three points we covered today. Just as Malachi means he is a messenger of Yahweh God, Malachi's message still stands today. And there is so much you can learn from this. And so, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church. Wishing you and yours great studies. Join me next time. War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given, that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings. And we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. 
Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.